Hello again, you guys. It's good to see you. Uh, for those of you, who, if it's your first time, you're unfamiliar, uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Transform, and um, it's my pleasure, my honor to be able to share with you this morning um, the third part of our series that we've entitled Praying and Praising. And um, we've been looking at four different passages of Scripture, four different either sections of prayer or praise or things that you could look at in the same way. Um, they're either prayer or praise, and, and a lot of times those intersect. Um, but this morning I'm going to have you turn to the Gospel of Luke, to the first chapter. And if you would find verse 46, we'll begin there. And as you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, I'd like to set the stage a little bit so that we can sink into the story of what's going on at this point in history. So before the feeding of the 5,000, and before the raising of a dead man, before walking on water and the Sermon on the Mount, I think we need to remember something vital. And we talk about it at Christmas a lot, but we need to remember this. Jesus Christ was a baby. Not only was he a baby, but he was in the womb of Mary and grew just like so many of these beautiful little kids have been born in this church this year. We've had a baby year here at Transform. Uh, we believe in natural growth. And so um, <laughs> I'd like to say that's just loving relationships bring forth beautiful little kids. But um, you guys, Jesus Christ was a baby in the womb of a poor girl in Nazareth. Just thinking about the story in that context, a child being in the womb of this poor girl in Nazareth that was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she was a poor young gal. Um, Edersheim, Alfred Edersheim, has uh, some amazing observations on the life and times of Jesus. He says this, at the time of their betrothal, alike, Joseph and Mary were extremely poor, as appears not indeed from his being a carpenter, since a trade was regarded as almost a religious duty, but from the offering at the presentation of Jesus at the temple. We know that they were hard up for money because of what they brought to offer when they dedicated Jesus. And that passage is in Luke chapter 2. It'll be on the screen, or if you want to flip a page over, it's probably really close in your Bible. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male must be dedicated to the Lord. And they did this to offer a sacrifice. According to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you know this if you read the book of the law that the wealthy would bring a lamb for a burnt offering. If they had enough money, they would, they would bring a lamb and that was, that was what they would offer. But the poor were allowed to substitute a turtle dove or a young pigeon. And so when they came to dedicate Jesus, that's what Joseph and Mary brought. Why? Logic dictates because they were probably not well off, they were poor. So it wasn't into the womb of royalty. And as we know from the story told every Christmas, he wasn't born into comfort either. Not many of you were born in a stable. Even few of you were probably laid in an animal feeding trough. Now, maybe it smelled like that, but here's the thing. You guys were, were not born into the same situation. I wasn't born into the same situation as the king of kings, as God in human flesh. How humbly our Savior came to us. And as the Romans domineered and conquered, and as the Jewish people reluctantly bent their knee to oppressive rule, hope was kindled and stirred in the womb of a poor girl in the small town of Nazareth. Something was happening 
God had stepped into humanity. Mary, who was visited by Gabriel, the angel, and told of the favor and blessing the Lord had bestowed upon her, her relative Elizabeth experienced something crazy at the same time frame. She was expecting a son as well, even though she was old, and Scripture tells us childless. She had been barren up to this point, and she was getting older in years to the point where people were like, yeah, kids are kind of not a possibility for you anymore. And God had worked in this way before, right? Remember Abram and Sarah. And you have Sarah having a child at 90 years old. There's a life goal for some of you. Abraham's 100 new parents figuring it out together. It's beautiful. (laughs) Abraham's like, I practiced on Ishmael, but I still don't know what I'm doing. But okay, so you guys, such impossible circumstances. And Gabriel reminds Mary and us in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. This is so important to what we're going to read this morning. For nothing will be impossible with God. What is impossible with God? Nothing. Remind yourself of that every single day. Nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth, pregnant with her son John, who would be called the Baptist. Mary, pregnant with Jesus the Messiah. Can you imagine what it was like when Mary shows up to visit Elizabeth? The door opens, and Elizabeth sees Mary, hears her voice greet her, and John the Baptist does a little tap dance in her stomach. Right? He leaps for joy. What a moment! Can you imagine? That would have been so cool. And watch Elizabeth react as John leaps in her womb at the voice of Mary. The Savior had entered the room, and John the Baptist gets all worked up, and Elizabeth just explodes in praise, and it says in the passage, she just yells it. She gets stoked. She gets filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verses 42 through 45. Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What a statement that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. Notice that last statement. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Mary believed that what God said he would do, he would do. What an incredible moment in the history of the world. All the anticipation of the Old Testament scriptures growing in the womb of a poor girl from Nazareth. And it's here that we begin part three of our series with a song that is referred to because of the Latin, the Magnificat. It's a song about magnifying God. It's a song about worshiping God and for all that he has done. And I'm so excited to share this with you guys this morning because not only is this a beautiful passage of Scripture, but it is so robust in biblical language. Alfred Plummer cites 12 different Old Testament passages in this song, line for line. It's robust with Scripture, and we could look at it as well and say that it's amazing and how it, it, it almost is modeled after the praise or the, or the prayer of Hannah that we studied last week. They're very similar in nature. And I think it's important to know and bear in mind not only the time period of when Mary sings this song and the geoeconomic situation, but also what Elizabeth has said directly preceding what Mary says. There is bucket loads of joy in this moment. It's like a joy bomb went off in the house. These gals are grooving. They're having a great time. 
<laughs> and I'm just using modern terminology to try and get a you know, feel for it. I can't imagine being there, could you? Watching the Spirit just moving in between these two women. Elizabeth was quite literally just yells out her declaration, and Mary responds, and the parallelism feels like we're reading from the Psalter. It feels like the Psalms. It's just this incredibly biblical and scriptural moment. We cannot read these words with a sorrowful tone. This is an explosion of praise. These are the passages and the messages I get so excited because you guys know we talk about sin, we talk about confession, we talk about repentance. Whatever is in the text as we study through the scriptures week after week is what we cover. But when we get to parts like this, oh baby, I get excited. You can't tell. You guys, if you think I'm excited about this, I am just as excited to share the song that the worship team wrote for this passage with you this morning. I hope that it's an explosion of praise for this church for many years to come. That when we sing this song, we not only agree with what Mary says, but we are singing it for ourselves of the wonderful and powerful works of our God. Let's dig into the text and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, I encourage you to read along with me. Mary said this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's word for us. This is what the Spirit inspired. At the very onset, I think we need to take note of one of the many comparisons that we can make between Mary's praise and Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Who's this song about? Who is the focus of this song? Who is all the attention about? Who is being spoken of? He has. He has, he has, he has, over and over again. Is she singing about how awesome she's been and how well she deserves this blessing? It's all about the goodness of God. It's all about his overwhelming blessing upon her. We're going to look at four strophes this morning. And if you're like, what in the world is a strophe? I'm glad you asked. It's a structural section of a poem or a song. It's a Greek word. And so there's movements to music like this. You're familiar with movements. We would call it verse. Verse 1, verse 2, chorus, bridge, pre-chorus. And then if you're from Hillsong, chorus, 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 chorus. <laughs> two hours later. You guys, so we're going to look at four strophes here in this thing. We'll look at the movements of the music. Here's what they are. Mary begins with praise for what God has done. Here's the praise for what God has done. And then she's going to praise the attributes of God. Then she's going to praise the sovereignty of God. And then she's going to praise God's faithfulness. 
These are the movements of this song, and I just want to call attention, and as I've said in all of these different um, sections that we've been studying through in this series, there's so much more. There's so much more to this, and I encourage you to dig into the scriptures, to read more, and to underline, and to really get into the text, but this is what I want us to focus on this morning. It's vital that we remember this song is being sung with Jesus in the womb. This song is being sung with Jesus, the light of the world, in the womb. Do you want to take a look at that artwork again? Can we put it up on the full screen? Dakota designed and drew that. You guys, this is part of this series as we wanted to creatively express the text. Isn't that incredible? Do you see the outline of the world around him? God in the womb. It's so inspiring. Dakota, you killed it. BJ and I sat in the office this week and just stared at it. Because <laughs> I can't. My stick men are a little shady. Like, I mean, it's bad. It's not my gifting. It's not my gifting. But I love that the Lord has brought such amazing gifts and talents into this body of believers. And I'm so thankful for you guys. Dakota, thank you for sharing that with us. The light of the world in the womb. Verses 46 through 48, let's look at the first strophe. This is praise for what God has done. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, she says. She's talking about her praise for God involving both soul and spirit. Did you catch that? Every part of her being is magnifying God, which means to praise his greatness. It means to make much of who he is, even though we look at it and say, what a weird thing that little creations like us were given the opportunity to magnify the name of God. You know, it's even crazier is that he's called us to be his image bearers. You bear the image of God. People are to be able to look at our lives, church, and see the character of God in us. They ought to. Every part of her being is rejoicing in God. Notice she not only rejoices in the saving power of God, but also in his choosing of her. He has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. What's interesting about this praise is as I was studying through this, it made me think of another passage in Habakkuk. Now this may seem like an odd transition, but bear with me. In Habakkuk, the prophet says this, in Habakkuk 3, verses 18 through 19, Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. I love that passage of Scripture. Church, our salvation is in God. He's purchased us from sin and death. We know now as the church in modern times with the blood of Jesus. There is no circumstance or situation that we're going through or will go through that's able to prohibit our praise unless we allow it to. Let me say it this way. God will allow the trials, but he also empowers our praise. God will allow the trials. He will also empower our praise in those trials, in those moments. It doesn't matter what we're going through. He will empower our praise there. Now, it may seem odd at this point, like that I brought in Habakkuk. When we're talking about Mary and we're looking, about, looking at Mary and saying, well, she's just, I mean, 
Jesus is in her womb. Of course she's praising. Of course she's rejoicing. But why would you compare the rejoicing of Mary to the rejoicing of Habakkuk? Because he's in a totally different situation. If you read prior to verses 18 and 19, and you go back to Habakkuk 3.16, it says this. This will be on the screen. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. Sounds fun. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. He's waiting for destruction. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, here it is again, verses 18 and 19, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Church, you can rejoice in God in any circumstance. It doesn't have to be the perfect situation. It doesn't have to be the situation that you thought of or you dreamt up. In fact, if you've lived enough life, you know that those rarely come to pass. This isn't at all the way I dreamed it up. I, I hardly ever hear someone look at me and go, you know, I planned it this way. 30 years ago, I planned to be right here. And you're like, you're little, literally standing in manure. Like, you plan to be here? Really? People are like, Mike, did you ever see yourself? No! I don't belong here. You guys, the only reason I'm here is because God made me. The second he releases me, I love you guys. I would rather be out there with you. I would much rather be out there with you. I would much rather be in a different role. You're like, oh, come on, Mike, whatever. You love what you do. Oh, I have fun with it, but I would love something else. You see, guys, it's not about the situation being what we dreamed it to be. It's not about the circumstances being how we planned it or even optimal. You see, what it's all about is rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because he is faithful. He is good. Nothing has changed God. Nothing has changed him. We often assume that we'd be better worshipers of God in different circumstances. And that's a lie. We often think that it would be far better if our week went in a little bit more of a compliant way, should we say, for us to be effective at church on a Sunday morning. We had a theme in our prayer circle this morning, the worship team and all those who show up early, which you guys, I, I just, I got to thank all the people who serve here. So many faithful people show up and are out there cleaning sidewalks, setting up the church, making coffee, practicing songs, like so many people. And do you know what our theme in prayer was this morning? Something is very, very wrong with us. Because our lives have literally blown up all week. It's been hard. There's been weird spiritual attack. No one's sleeping, apparently. Prayer's been a slog. It's been a difficult week. And I smiled and looked at them and said, boy, God's got something in store. Whenever we go through a week like this and we come here like, oh, I'm barely here. But you showed up. And God's going to do something. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. You guys, we could read what's going on in this situation with the wrong lens and think that she's praising because things are going well for her. But even a closer look at Mary, which is what I wanted to show you at the beginning. Poverty, a poor girl from Nazareth. Not only understanding her situation better, but thinking about what she's going to go through because she is the mother 
of the Lord. Think about what Mary is going to go through in the next 30 plus years. Think about the slander, the accusations. When God chose Mary to bear the Savior, do you realize how difficult that would be? What the road would look like for her? We won't go into detail even of what it would be like to watch a child that you bore and raised and loved dearly get crucified. You see, God proves his greatness, his saving power, his sovereignty, his mercy, his goodness, his grace, all in the midst of the mess, all in the midst of our difficulties. Even when the crops fail and justice has not been done for the evildoer, Habakkuk rejoices. Mary rejoices in what God has done. And even though it will be hard, generations are going to call her blessed. You guys, we need to praise God for what he's done. Regardless of where we stand, praise God for what he's done. If you struggle to think of things to be thankful for, take some quiet time. And I want you to think about while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you until you start praising the Lord because it should come pretty quickly. It comes pretty quickly for me when I think about how unworthy I am and that Jesus died on the cross for me. Mary rejoices in what God has done and even though it's going to be hard, generations will call her blessed and indeed we do. What an incredible blessing bestowed upon her to bear the Savior. Second section here, the second strophe, verses 49 through 50. She says, this is all because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. She's praising God because of who he is. And she calls out two attributes of God. This is praise for the attributes of God, but I want to narrow it down to two things that she points out here. She calls out his holiness and his mercy. He is holy and he is merciful. Do you ever think about what a weird combination that is? Perfection and mercy. That's an interesting combination. Most people who even think that they're perfect treat other people terribly. Right? You're not as good as I am. You haven't done it as well as I've done it. She points out about God. He is holy and merciful. He has every right to send us all away. But he is both pure and holy and merciful in the same phrase. The correct posture of our hearts and lives is submission and obedience to the perfection of God. He is holy and pure. And knowing that when we come to him humble, he shows us mercy. He gives us help. The holiness of God is not something that should cause us to feel separated from him. That's the beauty of combining holiness and mercy together. Is that his holiness, because he's merciful, doesn't make us feel far away. It doesn't push us away. It draws us in. When you think about the holiness of God, you should not feel farther from him. You should feel him pulling you close because he is also merciful. The holiness of God is an amazing thing. And Mary is literally singing the reality of the mercy that he sent to us in Jesus in the same breath. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, Paul says it this way, but God who is rich in mercy. What is God rich in? Did you ever think about that? If you look at someone who has riches in this world, you're like, he is rich with stuff. 
He is rich with talents. That person is rich with good looks. It just would have sounded weird if I said he is rich in good looks. But like, if you guys, you think about this, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. Even though we were dead in our sin, we were saved by grace. Mary not only sang of the past, but also of the future when she praised God for his mercy that spans from generation to generation and coupled God's mercy with his holiness. The psalmist encourages our praise as well. Psalm 30, verses 4 through 5. Sing to the Lord, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Yeah, that song came from a scripture. You know? Weeping may last for the night or may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Church, never ever let go of that and never forget the attributes of God that Mary calls into play here. He is holy. He is merciful. She continues her praise in verse 51. Please notice this. Four times in three verses. You see the words he has. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is strophe number three. This is the praise for the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is able to do as he chooses to do. Mary is praising God in all his sovereignty. The doctrine of, the God, of God's sovereignty throughout scripture teaches us this over and again, that he possesses all power and is the ruler of all things. He possesses all power and is the ruler of all things. Psalm 135 verse 6, the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the sea and all the depths. That means from the top to the bottom, God does what he pleases. We like that when it's not contradictory to what I want. We're for God being sovereign when it's on our behalf. What if we were Job? Would we worship him then? What if we ever, and I don't believe that any of us have sunk to that point, to hit the low point that Job hit. But let's say we did. Would God still be merciful Would God still be gracious in our mind? Is your perception of the goodness of God based upon what he's doing in your life? Is his sovereignty and his power subject to what you wish him to do? When you find yourself in a situation and you don't understand why, do you deflect your emotions and accept that God is faithful and good and to be trusted and holy and just and righteous and all the things that scripture tells us that he is or do we immediately question and doubt and wish in the words of Moses, oh Lord, please pick someone else. I resonate with that sometimes. You have those days where you show up for work We have to go do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And you pray that prayer, don't you, right before you leave the house. Or you look at your family and go, oh, Lord, please send someone else. Who had God called and commissioned in that situation? Moses. And God says, no, you need to go. I'll be with you. 
I can't. Yes, you can. I'll go with you. But I, fine, Aaron can go with you, but you're still going. Like, you know, there's these situations that, that Moses, like, and you even see the weird thing that happens with him and his wife along the road. You want to talk about fun passages of scripture to teach. If you don't believe me, read like Exodus 3 and 4. But you guys, there's, this, there's these things that happen where like, I have so many doubts, I have so many hesitations, I'm not able to, uh, uh. don't pretend like you don't. You guys, the Lord does whatever he pleases. I need to be on board with that. This is his world. God rules and works according to his eternal purpose, even though events that seem to contradict or oppose his rule will happen. Even when things are going on in my life that I can't make sense out of, does not change that he is still sovereign. Our attention is drawn to his sovereignty and Mary's praise all throughout, but especially here in these verses, because of the four uses of he has in three verses. He has done a mighty deed. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. He has satisfied the hungry with good things. You guys, he has done these things because he is sovereign. He possesses all power and is the ruler of all things. And he remains holy and merciful. Those need to stay together. Be careful, church. This, is, this can be a danger for us. Be careful not to focus on a specific attribute of God and forget the rest. Do not focus on one part of his character and neglect the rest. Because a lot of us are like, you know, God's justice brings it. Yeah, justice of God. And someone's like, he's also forgiving. And we turn into Peter. Fine, I'm going to forgive him seven times. What do you think of that? God's like, not impressed, seven times 70. We're like, I'm going to need a really big ledger to keep track of all this. Not the point. When we disagree with God, you guys, that's also known as disobedience. When we disagree with him because of temporal things that happen here on this earth, we are questioning his sovereignty. When you disagree with God, that is disobedience. You're questioning his sovereignty. It's one thing to struggle with it. It's another thing to disagree with him and doubt him because of it. Be careful. And don't give yourself too long of a leash on that. Well, if you were going through what I was going through, no excuse. It's no excuse. God is still sovereign. He's given you his word. Stick to it. No one's life in here is easy peasy. It's here that we ought to thank him for his mercy in those moments and for his patience with us. And we need every moment of our lives thank him for his grace. This is what Mary praises him for. He scatters the proud, topples the mighty, exalts the lowly, satisfies the hungry. He cares on it, the outcasts, and she's like, he sees them. Wearsby said, the grace of God works contrary to the thoughts and ways of this world system. The people that are seen in this world system are people who have money, who have the possessions, who have the power. There's a caste system in our world. It's what people see. It's like, oh, you have my, oh yeah, we want to hear from you. It's interesting. We, I asked this question once. I made a lot of trouble at a pastor's conference. So why do we always have the guys up here that have like really massive churches? Why do we sit at these conferences and hear from guys who have thousands and thousands of people? Why don't we hear from the guys who have been faithful for 50 years to 100 people? Why don't we hear from them? Because even in the Christian circle, we still look and go, where's the successful one? Ah, you. Encourage these guys that they can be like you too. 
Is that what I'm called to? To be like him? Or to be like them? I am called to be faithful to what God has given to me. That's my calling. Is that the way we live our lives? Be faithful to what God called you to do. The grace of God works contrary to the thoughts and ways of this world system. It gives us value even in the small things. Even if I am in this lowly state, God sees me. God knows me. I'm filled with this spirit too. Paul says it in a really winsome way to the Corinthians. It sounds derogatory, but it's totally not. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. From a human perspective. Not many of you are powerful. And not many of you are from noble birth. They're like, great. Instead, <laughs> it gets better. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Ah, you fools. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to, be, to bring to nothing, what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. Why does God do it? His own glory. Not yours, not mine. It's for his glory that he does this. So we ought to praise him just as Mary did so that he receives glory for all his mighty works. All right, I'm bringing it home. Don't worry. Final strophe. This is a praise for his faithfulness. And she uses Israel as an example. Verses 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Praise for his faithfulness. He has been faithful to do all that he said he would do. God promised to send the Messiah through Abraham, telling him in Genesis chapter 12, he says, through you, all of the nations of the world and all generations will be blessed. I have never received a promise like that. That's pretty big. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And you're like, how did Abraham pull that off? Well, he didn't. The Messiah would come from him. Would come through his lineage. That's a prophecy of Jesus. He, God himself sustained Israel even through their disobedience and brokenness, through the mistakes and pain. He remained merciful even in the midst of his judgment for their sin. You're like, he was judging them and merciful? Yeah, because he should have wiped them out completely and he always left a remnant. He always left a glimmer of hope because he was going to be faithful to what he promised to them. And he was. Remember a while back, like I think I've mentioned it like three weeks in a row, how Paul tells the Corinthian church that like the scriptures were written to set us an example. They're there to remind us of these things that God has done and that we can trust him. He goes, read the Old Testament scriptures. They are an example for you. And some of us are like, well, that's a bad example. Yeah, don't do that. You know? Look at the promises that God fulfilled to Abraham. That's a great encouraging thing. God will be faithful to me. In Christ, he's going to be faithful. Philippians 1, 6 applies, church. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish what he started. Do you ever feel like he stopped? Do you ever feel like he stalled? He will complete it. You guys... 
Mary, in the closing of her song, draws our attention to sing of the faithfulness of God. And she says he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, which she already spoke of, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And she's singing this with Jesus, the fulfillment of that promise inside of her. I pray over us, church, the ability to see the faithfulness of God in the present and not only in hindsight, Many of us look back and we can see and be like, wow, that God was faithful. I think it's harder to see it in the present. A lot of times it's hard when we're going through something to see that he is faithful right now. His faithfulness has not changed right now. And we need to worship the Lord now because we see his faithfulness here in the present circumstances just as much as we've seen it in the past. Don't forget what he's brought you from. Don't forget what Jesus did on the cross for you, church. Mary sang from the depths of her soul, and she had Jesus in the womb, the fulfillment of God's promises, the evidence of his grace and goodness, the extension of mercy and salvation to all who believe. And how fascinating is it that even in the beginning of this praise, in verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Yeah, even Mary needed saving. And the Savior was within her. G. Campbell Morgan said this, by that inward sign, by that sense of the newborn life within her, she knew the holiness of God. She knew the mercy of God. She knew the might of God. She knew the faithfulness of God. He had demonstrated all these things to her. And so can we. Worship team, would you guys come on up? Here's why we can do this as well, you guys. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit which indwells all believers in John 16, verses 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. You realize that God's faithfulness is living inside of you via the Holy Spirit this very moment. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop looking at your situations. Church, we do this. We get so caught up in what's going on in our lives that we forget that God's faithfulness is living inside of us. Paul would add this in Romans 8, verses 10 through 11. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Amen? Do you realize how life-altering that is? You might want to call it a new creation. Because that's how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5. We are a new creation, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What's stopping us from singing his praises this morning? What's stopping us from magnifying the name of God? What's getting in the way? What's holding you back? I'm speaking to believers in this room. To my brothers and sisters. And I'm sorry, I'm not better looking, but you're stuck with me. You guys, we're family. 
You don't have to pretend to be anything here. You don't have to hide here. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to make it seem like you got it all together. I want you to pray because he's found this. I want to encourage you. You don't even have to know the words that good to worship the Lord because he's holy and he's merciful. Because he's done great things and he is a mighty God. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we just take a moment before we do anything else and just think of you. We think of your faithfulness. We think of your holiness. Think of your mercy. Lord, we just want to say thank you. From the depths of our souls, thank you. Holy Spirit, whatever it is inside of us, Lord, that's hurting, would you heal? Would you touch our hearts in a special way? Lord, there's been resistance this week. There's been battles. And God, you've been so faithful even in the midst of those things. And we thank you, Lord, for forgiving us because I know for myself I've sinned and I've failed. And I thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is so freely given because of Jesus. That you forgive us and you forgive me, Lord, my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And what an amazing statement that you're faithful and just to forgive me because of Jesus. Thank you for sending the Savior. Thank you for this amazing praise. And Lord, I just ask that we would respond this morning without any concern of how we look, how we present ourselves to anyone but that we would present ourselves to you as humble worshipers, people who praise and magnify your name because we love you more than anything else. And Jesus, we love you. We thank you for a time to sing and worship you. Pray that you be glorified in this, in Jesus' name.